the reaction that we got was that basically people were telling us that I never thought of this and now I understand why the glasses didn't fit me. And people were especially happy that there was a company that saw them because many people feel neglected by certain product offerings without even knowing that they're being neglected. So when we explained to them that we are there for you, um, people felt very happy and surprised at the same time. Welcome to Made For Us, a podcast about the intersection of innovation and inclusion. It's for anyone who's curious about how to develop products that work better for all of us. I'm your host, Tosin Suleiman, a podcaster and former business journalist. My guest today is Sharif Frogt, co-founder of Reframed, a Berlin-based startup that's rethinking the conventional approach to eyewear frame design. Sharif and his co-founder, Akeem Nguenye, started Reframed after multiple encounters with ill-fitting glasses and a realization that most glasses in stores didn't cater to people with low and wide nose profiles. In this episode, Sharif tells me how Reframe's Kickstarter campaign confirmed that there was a need for more inclusive eyewear and how they're using the data and insights they've gathered to develop industry standards. We can help eyewear brands to produce the right frames at the right time and also prevent them overproducing and throwing away millions of frames. This is the second in a two-part special on inclusive eyewear. If you haven't already, check out my interview with Florence Shin and Athena Wang, the co-founders of Covery. Please note that Made For Us will be taking a short break over the holidays and I'll be back with a new episode on the 4th of January. Now here's Sharif from Reframed. So I'm the co-founder of Reframed and uh, we are an eyewear startup and our mission is actually to make the eyewear industry more inclusive by offering products that fit multiple faces. I'd like to talk about how the idea for Reframe came about. I understand that this stemmed from your own personal experiences and also that you had quite a specific target audience in mind at the beginning. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I moved to Berlin in 2019 and my brother was visiting me. Um, we went to a festival called African Food Festival and that's where I saw Akeem walking around with uh, 3D printed frames. He actually saw me um, while he was walking around and he asked me if I could try it on. Um, the moment I tried this prototype frame on, I realized that the frame is actually very comfortable, especially the fit around my nose. And I remember when I was in primary school that I had to wear glasses, but stopped wearing them after a couple of months because it wasn't a comfortable experience. And so Akeem explained to me a bit why he was doing this. And funny enough, he had the same experience with eyewear, which meant that if it's just us, you know, there are most likely more people that experience the same issue with eyewear. And that's where we kind of decide to make eyewear for black people's nose profiles, because we believe that the eyewear industry is not catering to all diverse faces that the world has to offer. And we think that everybody should be able to find the correct fitting frame. That's interesting. Um, and so how are black people's nose profiles or facial features different from, say, Europeans? So if you compare a Caucasian nose, it's different in the sense that they are higher and smaller than our nose bridge. So black people usually have a wider and lower nose bridge, which means that the, the, um, the frame is kind of leaning not correctly on the nose. And also, when people wear a frame, the nose is carrying most of the weight. So if you wear a frame that isn't suitable for your nose profile, it automatically will cause discomfort. And actually, that is now I'm saying it like I knew this for 
always for a very long time, but it's something I had to learn um, because we see that consumers usually just accept um, products from, from companies without even thinking who's behind the company and um, who are those people that are developing those products and for who are they doing that. So it's uh, a massive learning school, basically, also in terms of my own genetics in comparison with product offering from different companies. So black is a pretty broad category because even among black people, there's a lot of diversity. And I think you and Akeem are a perfect example of that, given your own you know, very different backgrounds. Yeah, so that's very difficult. Um, when we try to write the marketing copy down, we also realized that how should we phrase it? How should we um, call our target audience? Because not all black people identify as black. Um, for example, I'm from Suriname. At least my parents are from Suriname. Um, Akim is from South Africa. And um, we see that also some people in the Caribbean rather identify themselves as Afro-Caribbean or in America, you have Afro-Americans. So it's a very complex topic. And um, we basically decided to call our target audience initially um, Afropolitans. So basically, Black people from the African African uh, diaspora who are well-traveled, well-educated, and they can be anywhere in the world. But it's super interesting because when people hear black people, um, they expect just yes, everybody with like this, the skin color. But um, it's much, much, much deeper than that. Yeah. Um, and were you surprised that no one else was catering to this group of people at the time? Actually, yes, because um, the moment when we got a bit of press and especially on Twitter, uh, our story went a bit like it didn't go viral, but we got quite some attention. And the reaction that we got was that basically people were telling us that I never thought of this and now I understand why the glasses didn't fit me. And people were especially happy that there was a company that saw them because many people feel neglected by certain product offerings without even knowing that they're being ne neglected. So when we explained to them that we are there for you, um, people felt very happy and surprised at the same time. But they will, I think it's also um, being included because that was, was completely missing, especially in the eyewear industry. And why do you think the eyewear industry wasn't catering specifically to black consumers? I think it's because the industry itself is not diverse enough. If you look at the big corporations, basically, you can just tell from a company if it's inclusive enough, not necessarily from the product offering, because um, you should look at the team behind who are working on the product. So if you have a lot of Caucasian people working on a project, most likely their biases will go into the product. And if you have a diverse team, you have much more input and people will kind of explain much better and realize that if something needs to work for a lot of people, you also need to have a lot of diverse people. Right. But at the same time, uh, a number of the major eyewear companies do cater to Asian consumers. You know, they, you do get Asian fit eyewear. Yeah, that's quite interesting because we also realized that there was an Asian fit and Asian people, especially Southeast Asian people, they have a similar nose uh, type as black people a bit lower also wider and i think it has to do with um consumer power because a lot of those brands that offer asian fit like the you have the designer eyewear brands but also like massive uh direct to consumer brand like Bobby parker um also has an asian fit but the interesting part of that it's not very 
visible. You always have to look for it. You have to scroll a lot, click on certain links to find that. So um, we think that shouldn't be the case. Um, regardless of where you're from, um, how your face looks, it should be easy to find the correct fitting frame. So I think it's more to put those people in the forefront and not kind of hiding them. So how did you come to the conclusion that there was a big enough market for your product? So um, we were approached by Kickstarter um, and Akim and I were initially very skeptical because we were also realizing that on Kickstarter, the majority of the people that um, donate money are white men. And after some thought, after some discussions, we decided to just give it a go. And uh, we had a successful Kickstarter campaign two years ago in uh, summer of 2021, uh, where we shipped or sold more than 400 glasses, which means that our case, um, it meant for us that, okay, there is a need for correct fitting eyewear, regardless of um, how people their face look or what ethnicity they have. Um, it's not only black people that struggle finding correct fitting eyewear. So basically after the Kickstarter campaign, we said, perfect, there's a market for this. And now we have to uh, capitalize on this, on this market. And how big do you think that market is? So I think it's big. I don't know ex the exact numbers, but if you look at the amount of people that um, at least we are talking to that say, yo, I've been looking for eyewear my whole life. And yeah, it's, it's just hard to find something. And especially people with, with like a slightly bigger face or smaller or bigger nose, they see that this one size fits all offering that most current um, eyewear players do. That's just doesn't work for everybody. And at the same time, it's also understandable because if you have to customize frames, it will be more expensive. So I think that's where our, that's the gap that we found in the market, that there is space for some much more tailored experience for eyewear. Right. And, and looking at the industry as a whole, demand for eyewear is increasing. So I guess you're also looking to benefit from that growth. Yeah, exactly. And that also is due to screen usage um, because of we look basically 24-7 at a screen. Um, people will need eyewear. Um, it's uh, projected that by 2050, half of the world population needs eyewear. And half of the world population isn't only white, which means that there are so many people in need of eyewear. And um, I think we are at the forefront with Reframe to cater to a diverse and inclusive world. So let's talk about determining the fit of a pair of glasses. What are the main elements to consider? Um, so the main elements is the nose bridge. Um, this is where the, most of the weight of the frame is um, being carried by the nose. And then you have the temples. Um, People feel usually discomfort, especially at the nose and with the temples. And um, our solution actually was that we created an app. And based on this app, we scan your face. And based on that scan, we produce a custom frame. And basically what that does was that every frame that we sold was unique for the customer. And I think this first promise of VR creating your unique frame and your perfect fitting frame that gave us quite a good value proposition to get more clients in. So if people are listening and they're wondering, are my glasses fitting correctly? How can they tell it? So when you look at, especially people with white and low nose bridges, if you have a gap 
between the frame and your nose. That means the nose bridge isn't correct for you. And usually people that have that gap are wearing um, wearing a frame that is mainly designed for higher and smaller nose bridge. Um, and the same, you can have some um, tension at the temple of the ear. And also a frame should be firm on your head. So if you shake, it shouldn't fall off. Or if you move your head, it should, it should fit stable. And also, it's not just about looking good, because if the frame doesn't fit, this also affects how the lenses work, doesn't it? Exactly. Which means that let's say you have a frame that sits too low on your nose. That can happen that you look over your lenses and then you have kind of two, two different visions, which means that at some point when you look over the lenses, you see normal. And if you look slightly down, you have this, um, you have this, um, vision of, of the lenses and that can cause headache. So you have to make sure that your face or the, the eyes are in the center of the lenses. So I'm curious about how you define your target customer now, how that's evolved, because you're now looking at different demographics beyond black people, aren't you? Exactly. And so, like I said, we started off with um, I for black people's nose profiles and realized that then it's not only black people that need correct fitting eyewear. So after the custom frame, we decided to trying to make our frames, um, every frame comes in multiple variations. So every frame comes in a white nose bridge, a low nose bridge, and a high nose bridge. And at the same time, the same frame also comes in small, medium, and large. That means we have nine different variations of each frame. So if you're a customer, regardless of how your face looks, there should be there should be one frame that is suitable for you. And um, the reason why we did this or how we could do this is that because of the, the app that we have created where people scan their face and then get a frame. Now we use all this data to segment people. So if somebody tells us or send a picture of their face, we basically know how to categorize them. And that's how we created those nine different variations of each frame. So you're no longer doing customization for each customer, but you're doing a sort of semi-customized product. It's still an option for the customers who really want to have a custom frame, um, but it's also a slightly more expensive option. So this makes also um, reframe more inclusive because it's our goal to be very accessible. Um, um, but I think that the custom frames really put us on the map. So I wanted to talk about how you fundraise for, for the company. I know that you did a, a Kickstarter campaign you also spoke to a number of investors in the early stages. Can you tell me about how those conversations went? Yes, and I think fundraising is hard. Fundraising is hard for every entrepreneur, but I think as a minority, a person in the West part of Europe, especially in Berlin, um, it has its own challenges and also our product, because if you, especially in the beginning where we talked about IR for Black people, all those investors, most of them, they don't look like us. We have a problem that they don't experience. So sometimes it feels like you start um, with one zero behind and you have to convince them. Um, they don't experience the problem. So they might tell you it's not a problem. Um, so I think when it comes to investors, it's so important to try to find the ones that see this potential. Um, it's like a marriage. You should not force or convince somebody to marry you. 
because I think that will not um, benefit the dynamic for a long time. Um, so when we talk with investors, we, we first try to understand them. Do they understand our problem? Do they understand what we're trying to build? And do they understand the market? Because when we talk about um, diverse phases, um, it's not only in the West, you know, the world is very big and the market is actually massive. People sometimes refer to us as niche product, but um, I always disagree with people that say that because outside the West, there are so many more people and with spending power as well. So when it comes to investors, it's really trying to find the one that is uh, that has a similar mindset as us and trying to see if we can connect on the same level. And do you think you've been able to find those investors? Um, we haven't. Well, we have investors, but we don't have a um, professional institutional investor yet. We have some angel investors and also we got um, some, we got awarded by Google for the Black Founders Fund. So you clearly see that there are parties and people that support us. And um, I think we're also in, a, it's also a fortunate situation to be in because um, we are, it's still a small team and um, the moment when we will sign a contract with a bigger institutional investor, um, it needs to be the right one. And we haven't found that one yet. Okay. And I wanted to ask you about the learning curve when you were developing the product. When you started out, how much knowledge did you have about what it takes to build an eyewear brand? That's an interesting question because Akeem and I both don't have any experience in eyewear. Our only experience was that um, we thought that eyewear was not made for us because we we had issues with finding correct fitting eyewear. And at the same time, I think if you want to disrupt the market, sometimes it actually helps to be an outsider because you look at things completely different. Um, if you look at the current eyewear companies, now, of course, there are a lot of companies with apps and trying to give you the perfect fitting frame. But we started with that. That was our value proposition. So in terms of learning curve, I think um, we had to learn a lot about eyewear. But so as an as an founder and especially as an outsider, um, you have to wear different hats. And basically you have to keep your mind open and talk a lot with people that know more than you. For example, we have um, an, an optician who helps us determining prescription and all those things. And also you had to do quite a lot of education at the beginning um, for your target audience, because like you said, a lot of people may have just accepted things the way they were or concluded that it was them and not the glasses. Yeah, exactly. So I think a big part of Reframed is also educating people. Um, we're just not selling a product, but I think it's really important for people to know why we are selling a product. Because if you if you talk with a person and somebody will tell you, oh, I'm going to start an eyewear brand, I will tell you right away, the world doesn't need another eyewear brand. Um, you need to have some, you need to add some value. And I always say you either need to make somebody's life easier, happier, solve, solve a problem. And we really believe at Reframe that um, we are solving a problem for millions of people. So I, th I believe you launched your first collection in 2021? Exactly. So tell us about that initial collection, how the launch went, what the reaction was. 
So yeah, that was during the Kickstarter campaign as well. And uh, we, I think we started off with four frames and they all have names that are, has something to do with the places we're coming from. For example, there's a frame called Planga and Planga is a Surinamese word that means plank, but in Amsterdam, Planga is used as a, to, to describe eyewear um, in street slang. So the first collection is something that is very close to us. And um, since there were only four frames, um, it was for people quite easy to pick. They came in a lot of font colors. And um, yeah, the, the response was, was very positive. And we, it's quite interesting because if you launch four frames, um, after a month or two, you clearly see which one sells better. And then you make like iterations of those ones for the next collection. So um, yeah, launching is... Uh, it's uh, scary because when something is out there, it's out there. You cannot control anymore what people are saying about your product. Uh, but for us, it was uh, it was a very interesting and I think slightly stressful, but also a happy, successful time. And did you launch with both sunglasses and regular glasses? Or did you just start uh, with sunglasses? We started with sunglasses because if you launch with eyewear, um, eyeglasses, that's slightly tricky because prescription lenses you need so much more data from the customer so we decided to start with uh, sunglasses which is slightly easier to easier to purchase okay and and so tell me about how the product has since evolved so our frames were i would not call our frames back in the days very extravagant and um, they were quite anonymous um they were not they were for most people suitable, but uh, our latest collection, the Meta collection, which is basically designed and inspired by digital fashion, um, basically getting a digital product and then putting it into the real world. So now we have a bit of a more fashion forward approach. We're experimenting much more with what iWork can be. So with that sense, we hope to also cater more towards uh, a fashion fashionable audience and at the same time of course we are committed to inclusivity and equality so all our frames again they come in different nose profiles in different sizes and so who are your main customers now so our main customers are um i think people that have issues finding correct fitting eyewear uh, still um the funny thing is that most of the frames are not sold uh, to black people, but a white man. And um, that's something Akim and I never expected. But let's say the customer profile looks like 35-year-old guy, um, high educated and living in the city. So that's interesting. Most of your customers are, are white men. Why do you think that is? Is that because these are people that just haven't been able to find the right glasses for their for their face shape or they just want something unique and custom made? Um, I think that's definitely because they've been struggling um, for a long time at finding correct fitting eyewear. But we see also that some people, especially the black customer, is happy that we exist. So they decide, and even if they don't have issues with finding uh, correct fitting eyewear, they decide to purchase from us because they're happy that there is this inclusion, um, that this company is seeing them, it's not, don't try to hide them. In our visual marketing, official communication, you also see 
a lot of diverse people. And that's not just from the front, but also Akim and I, we can really walk the talk. So I think people like the honesty that we share as a company because we are there for everyone. So I understand you had some pushback initially when you launched the company and you said that you were targeting black people. Tell me about that and how that's informed the direction of the company. Yeah, that was interesting because I remember we got some press, I think Design Week um, wrote an article about us. And I remember we got some messages on Twitter where people accused of us uh, reversed racism. And I was surprised because I talked with Akeem and we were discussing like, we should do one thing first very well until we until we scaling up. Um, but yeah, also people that were saying, I'm not black, I have a similar issue, um, what's up with your communication? Um, so also that's why we decided to open up to more um, demographic groups much earlier than we actually planned. And we also noticed that during the Kickstarter, because when we did a Kickstarter, um, our tagline was I have for black people's nose profiles, but we changed that during the campaign because like I said before, the audience on Kickstarter is not necessarily black. And um, that also resonates much better with more people. So we learned that it's really important to have this inclusive communication. Um, but that was something we really didn't see coming. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you think they had a point? Um, I think, of course, they do have a point. Um, because if you find a product that's basically solving your problem, but this company is kind of saying, but it's not for you, um, I would also be not happy. I would also feel a bit frustrated. But from a company point of view, um, I think laser focus is also important. Um, doing one thing very good. So it was a bit of a dilemma for us. But in the end, like I said, we decided to to open up. Um, and I think we managed very well because because of that, we created the app. And then it really didn't matter anymore how your face looked like because we get this data and based on that, we can produce a uh, a frame for you and it also lead to the frame that comes in uh, nine different variations right and and how has that impacted the growth of the company so basically you get a bigger market uh, which is good for a company um, we could sell more frames to more people um, so that's that, that's always good but of course um, growth is also expensive you need to keep up with the growth so um that's why like most frames are being sold to America, but I think for from a company point of view, it's it's so important to maybe sell a bit less in order to have more control of the situation, to just accept everything. Because we also realized that during the Kickstarter campaign, we sold frames to over 30 countries in the world, from Australia to Hawaii to a lot of in Europe. But so we realized it doesn't make sense for us to regularly sell frames to Australia because it's just too expensive. So we realized that we should decide what our markets are and focus on that. And with that works, we will scale up. Right, I see. Um, so as well as inclusion, I understand that sustainability is also a big focus. You have a rental program, I believe. Why did you decide to roll that out? Exactly. So the reason why we started with a rental program is that first of all, if you want to have a custom frame from us, it's quite expensive. Um, and 
also when you think about sustainability, so we produce frames on demand, um, which is already quite sustainable. We don't have any stock, but rental gives people options to use a product. And um, whenever the moment is there that they're not interested or they don't need it anymore to send it back to us, which also means that you don't have to throw it away. I have so many sunglasses that I just bought because I liked them back in the days. And now they're just sitting here. Um, and yeah, if you look at clothing, it's the same. Like, I think ownership will change in, in, into usage more. And um, we should all buy less and use more. Uh, but I think it's a mindset that we globally have to adapt to still because um we we keep on producing keep on producing and when you look at eyewear most people don't buy a frame every year so um it's also a product that you can use much longer and when you're done um we can take it back we can recycle it we can make new frames out of it so that's a very uh, circular movement that we have especially also um stand for as reframe and I'm curious also about the B2B side of your business, because I understand that your aim is to develop industry standards that others can use. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, we have helped eyewear brands in the past. For example, there was a UK company that wanted to create a diverse sports frame. And they found us, I don't know how exactly, and um, we basically gave them our fitting insights. So what we did was we segmented our our data that we got from the app, and they explained to us who their customers are or the potential customers are. And based on that, we created a data set so that they know exactly um, which or how to produce their eyewear, and especially with which nose profile which means for them in the future when they're selling eyewear, um, it's much more secure. So you know who you're designing for and who you're selling to, which means that if things go right, you don't have to waste so much unsold stock. Okay, so so the data you have allows you to, say, take a country and basically tell an eyewear brand, this is sort of the average nose profile. Yeah, so for example, if there will be a Brazilian eyewear brand uh, coming to us, um, we have a specific data set that we can um, share with them, which will be completely different than, than uh, let's say, a South African eyewear brand. So um, we want to help other eyewear brands to cater more locally to their customers as well. So when you think about the future of the company, do you see the B2B side growing more or do you think you'll focus more on the consumer side? So I think it will be a bit of a mix um, because I think in order to really make the IRA industry inclusive, um, the IRA industry just doesn't need one brand that will do it. And um, then again, I will mention our app because um, we believe that with a scan, you get reframed IRA at the moment. But what if you can use this scan to find correct fitting IRA from different brands and we think that this will have a massive um, impact on the ivory industry and then we can also talk with brands about their demographic groups um, if you focus on north america this is the most common nose profile so in that sense we can um, we can help ivory brands to produce the right frames at the right time and also prevent them overproducing and throwing away millions of frames 
And so what incentive is there for the eyewear industry to change? I think it's customer experience. If you go to any big eyewear company and you're looking for eyewear, you'll see a massive list of eyewear, sunglasses and eyeglasses. You need to scroll. But what if you can make this process much easier? What if the eyewear, that you don't have to look for the eyewear, but the company or the brand just shows you what fits your face? Um, I think that will be a massive improvement for a customer. And for companies that would like to develop more inclusive products, what would your advice be? I think we shouldn't even start to look from a product point of view. Start from hiring, start from who is the founding team? Because many times if you look at a startup, um, investors also invest in people that look like them. So basically you get a loop of the same things over and over again. Um, But it's important to have diverse people If you look at AI and self-driving cars that they didn't see or they have a hard time noticing black persons, um, that's just because of the fact that the biases of those people are incorporated in the software. Um, Can you imagine that this this will not happen if if an AI company or a self-driving car company with only black employees uh, that that would not happen then at the same time it might happen that they would not notice white people but what i mean to say is we need diversity in every layer of the organization uh, in order to cater to the world thanks to sharif from reframed you can learn more about the company in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode why not share it with a friend or colleague and don't forget to leave a review on apple Podcasts or spotify I'm Tosin Suleiman. Thanks for joining me on Made For Us. I think one of the books that inspired me to starting to follow this entrepreneurial journey is uh, the biography of Steve Jobs. And when it comes to a song, I'm lately, well, lately for some time, I'm listening a lot to reggae music. Um, I basically grew up with that. I would say Bob Marley, Three Little Birds, um, especially. If you have a stressful day, um, I would say enter your day with that song.